Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Today we're continuing our series on the topic of justification by faith. As you know, 2017 is the year of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and it was the question of justification, the debate over justification, which launched a division really right through the heart of Western Christianity. I'm going to suggest to those listening who are interested in apologetics that you make justification a real focus of your studies. Why? Let me share with you a personal experience. I'm a former evangelical pastor who at times had some pretty sharp differences with the Catholic Church. And I would say that these differences were at times very strong, but there was only one Catholic doctrine or Protestant doctrine that would cause me to want to lead someone out of the Catholic Church, and that was the question of justification. Is it by faith? Is it by our own works? These were the questions that led me to have an anti-Catholic attitude. There's a difference between strong disagreements and regarding somebody who's a genuine Christian, but regarding them as a non-Christian because you've been told that the Catholic Church believes certain things about justification by faith, and, you know, they may not be true. I just read this week's edition of World Magazine, which is a leading evangelical magazine. In that magazine, there are 22 book reviews of biographies of Martin Luther, 22. I mean, it's so over the top. And you know what's interesting? Uh, I sent them a manuscript of my book thinking that, well, for the 500th anniversary, you know, if they're going to have 22 uh, biographies that are positive on Martin Luther, would they even maybe squeeze in one alternative viewpoint because, you know, the book of Proverbs says the first to state his case seems right until the other comes and examines him. And, well, uh, there's not a single reference to my book or any other Catholic book that might have a contrary view. And so it's very lopsided, to say the least. I encourage you, if you're interested in this topic of justification, get a copy of my book, Grace and Justification, subtitled An Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. And after you're done reading it or buy two copies, give one to an evangelical friend because they're not even going to know this exists. They're just being flooded with pro-Martin Luther biographies and articles about the Reformation, and they're not even hearing the other side through their periodicals and their broadcasts. So it's going to be up to some Catholics to take that step of sharing the Catholic faith on this crucial topic. Now, today I want to address a very particular question regarding the differences in beliefs on justification between Protestants and Catholics. And here's the question. What happens when we are justified? Now, this is very significant If you want to know what Catholics believe about what happens when a person is justified by faith, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, sections 1996 through 1999, that's only four short paragraphs, 
have the essence of what happens when we are justified. I'm going to be speaking about those today. I'm going to give you some of the scripture references used in the footnotes of the catechism for those paragraphs. But let me just ask you this. Imagine that you had a winning lottery ticket and you had it stuffed in your junk drawer. Do you have a junk drawer at home? Most people do. Just the drawer that collects everything without any particular organizational value. And stuck in that junk drawer at home, and you never tried to redeem that winning lottery ticket until it expired. You would think, oh, you know, well, in a way, this is what happens with justification. It is such an amazing, overwhelming, abundant gift. And yet, and I'm going to be very honest here, because uh, I'll be honest, uh, I'm going to lean to the Catholic side on this broadcast, but I will say, for so many Catholics, justification isn't on their radar. They, they might even have a kind of a, what, what, what happens when we're justified? Gee, I don't know. And yet we're supposed to have the fullness of the truth. So I want to share with you today what happens when we are justified, and I want to contrast the Protestant and Catholic beliefs, but I can give you a really big hint. St. Augustine, who is actually quoted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 1994, says that justification of the wicked is greater is a greater work than the creation of heaven and earth. It's a greater work than when God spoke the universe into existence. That's pretty significant. So what we want to be looking for, okay, that St. Augustine is our hint, is something greater than God's creation of the physical universe. Now, those who are, uh, what shall I say, uh, have reached an introductory level of apologetics often think that the debate over faith versus works is the center of the debate between Protestants and Catholics on justification. You might be surprised to know that it isn't. Uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, who's rather strong evangelical and also anti-Catholic, he said that the question of what happens when you're justified touches the eye of the Reformation hurricane. In other words, this is the center of the debate. What exactly happens when we are justified? Many people know there was worldwide headlines in 1999, the Catholic Church and a Lutheran Federation signed a declaration on justification. And yet, after the Catholic Church signed that declaration, they felt it absolutely necessary to issue a special clarification saying that there remain aspects of substantial differences and specifically mentioning this question what happens when we are justified? And let me give you the Protestant view. The Protestant view, and for many of you, this is going to be a confusing theological term because you may not be acquainted with it, but the Protestant term is imputed righteousness. In other words, Protestants believe in imputation or imputed righteousness. I'll explain that in a minute. Catholics, in contrast, believe in infused 
righteousness, or they believe in infusion. Imputation versus infusion. Just so you know, uh, and again, Dr. Sproul is a leading evangelical theologian, and he says this is the eye of the Reformation hurricane. And if you, those who are really schooled in this, realize that this is where the big debate really is. In Protestantism, and again, this is imputed righteousness, justification is a legal declaration. God is like the judge and the sinner is like the guilty person in a courtroom. And justification is this legal declaration that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to the sinner. To be justified is to be either declared or made righteous, depending on your Protestant or Catholic theologian, okay? But righteousness and justification are like synonyms in English for a single Greek term. So the sinner, according to Protestantism, is declared not guilty. But here's the rub. Martin Luther said justification entails at once a sinner and just. Once a sinner and yet just. In other words, simultaneously, the person is declared absolutely righteous, that the imputed righteousness of Christ is given to the guilty sinner and he's declared not guilty but internally, he remains the same. And personally, and, you know, I'm not trying to do a slam here. I'm trying to, I like to explain people's behavior. I think this is a very autobiographical statement by Martin Luther, his theology. I think he was having a very hard time internally, and not all of those were were his immediate fault. I think some of his uh, family background contributed to this. But nonetheless, Luther, uh, and this is reported widely, although some Lutherans disagree with it, that Luther compared the justified sinner to, in Germany in the winter, you could have a pile of dung or manure, but it would be covered in a snowstorm with pristine white snow. And that's a good visual imagery of what it means to be at once sinner and yet still just. So externally, yes, the white snow, but internally, there's still the dung. And that's what imputed righteousness means according to Protestantism. Now, let's switch to the Catholic doctrine of justification. And again, this is the center of the debate. Catholic justification produces a profound interior transformation In other words, it's not just the nice white snow (laughs) externally, it's internal as well. The justified are infused with the renewing and sanctifying and transforming grace of God so that the sinful person is not simply declared righteous, but actually made righteous as well. And so which of the two is correct? Um, and again, uh, my standard for weighing which one is the truest, I, I'd say which one exalts the grace of God to a greater degree. Uh, and I'm not going to deny that Protestantism declares a wonderful thing. A sinful 
person standing before the holy God and being declared not guilty, that's a great thing. But how much better the Catholic justification, not only are you declared righteous, in other words, the legal aspect is taken care of, but you're also transformed. And that God before you is not just a judge, he's a father, and he wants you to be his child, so he's transforming you on the inside so that you can be conformed into the family likeness. That's what covenant, new covenant, is all about, being made like our Father in heaven. So, again, I I want to offer some scriptures, some very strong scriptures to support this. Here's a brief one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a powerful verse. You know, we are in Christ if we're justified, and we're not just having this snow covering over our internal dung pile, but no, we're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, in the epistle to Romans, which is one of the two big epistles in the New Testament dealing with the doctrine of justification, it's Romans and Galatians, as soon as St. Paul gets done talking about justification or righteousness by faith in chapter 3 of Romans, you turn the page to chapter 4, and St. Paul gives two exhibits from the Old Testament of being righteous by faith, and he uses the two outstanding men of the Old Testament, Abraham and David. If you look at the first verse of the New Testament, it's basically saying that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham, the son of David. And I'm just going to go with David for a moment because he really, really gets to the heart of what it means to be justified. I don't think there's a better chapter of the Bible than Psalm 51. Psalm 51, the context is that David, the man after God's own heart, fell into serious sin. He committed adultery with one of his loyal generals, wives, and then he had that general, so to speak, murdered by setting him up to fall in battle. So here's a man guilty of adultery and guilty of murder and now he's coming before God in Psalm 51. And again, let's, let's put the contrast. Protestant imputed righteousness is simply the external decree, the snow on the dung pile. The Catholic is infused righteousness, the transformation. And so the righteousness or the purity isn't just the snow on the outside of the person, but internally as well. Let's see what Psalm 51 says. David, King David speaking, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. According to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. I don't know if you caught, I tried to emphasize it with my voice. You know, we're talking about a dung pile covered with snow or snow over a human being who was a dung pile and now by God's grace is whiter than snow. Clean me, wash me, make me whiter than snow. Give me a clean heart. Put truth in my inward being. Wash me thoroughly. That's infusion. That's the Catholic doctrine of justification, and King David is exhibit A. Now, uh, I'd like to mention something, though, from what I just read. It was the first verse where King David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. Now, I have been an evangelical for 20 years, including a youth pastor and a pastor for a decade. And I've been a Catholic for 27 years. But let me tell you something that um, just keeps me up late at night and I, I just can't get over. And here it is. Be very honest, evangelicals do a tremendous job of teaching their version of justification and dependence on the grace of God for having that righteousness which they believe is imputed, which is a great gift, but not nearly as great a gift as not just the external declaration, but the internal, the greater gift that's in Catholic theology. But if you ask the average Catholic today, old or young, and, and you ask them, well, what are you depending on for this great gift of justification? And it's not by faith in the mercy of God. It's generally something that uh, I'm trying to, and then you fill in the blank, be a good person and do this, do that. I don't do this and this and that. And yes, there are commandments we are to keep. Yes, there are good works we are to do. But what do we basically trust for our justification? And listen to King David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. We don't say, have mercy upon me, O God, according to my trying to be a good person. That falls flat. That doesn't make a gift greater than the creation of heaven and earth. That makes your supposedly Christian life of none effect whatsoever. That cancels out the grace of God. And Catholics have the greater grace, and yet so often have mercy upon me, O God, according to stuff I do or don't do. And that's not the point. That is not the point. Have mercy upon me according to thy abundant mercy. And you know, um, believe me, I've been there. I've led Catholics out of the church. And if Catholics in the 21st century would have a living, joyous testimony that can be articulated that they are trusting, just like King David in Psalm 51, according to the mercy of God, 
there are going to be so many evangelicals converting to Catholicism, you're not going to be able to number them because this is the roadblock. It's not, why do you call priest father? That's a question, maybe a disagreement. That's not a roadblock. Justification by grace is the roadblock, and Catholics are putting it up, and it's not their faith. It's not the faith of the church. It's not the faith of the Bible. And so let's get rid of it. Okay, that was just a free, um, free internal exhortation there. I want to go back and give you another scriptural proof for the internal cleansing that takes place at justification. And I just gave you St. Paul's example, remember, is Abraham and David. I gave you David. Now, that was from the Old Testament, but what about the New Testament? What about the New Covenant? Well, we find that internal cleansing, again, that's what we call the infused righteousness, the Catholic doctrine. We find it at the very first church council when probably the biggest question facing the early church, it's in Acts 15, all the apostles got together to wrestle with the question, you know, are the Gentiles capable of being saved? And if so, how? On what basis? According to what? Remember Psalm 51? According to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. So what exactly do the Gentiles have to depend on for their salvation. So they all came to Jerusalem, Acts 15, 4, the apostles and the elders. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. This was the first church council. Then after there had been much debate, Peter rose, and you know sometimes Peter kind of said some things a little too quickly, but this one he waited, and now wisdom comes out of the rock. Quote, brethren, you know that in the early days God made choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You know, if you really want to have this trust in God's mercy, hearing the Word of God, and not just on Sundays, but make it a regular part of your life, will make a great transformation in your trust in God's grace. And here's what Peter's declaration is, verse 8 of Acts 15. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. That is Catholic-infused righteousness spoken by St. Peter right in the middle of the book of Acts. That is so critical. Then he goes on to say, Now, therefore, why do you make a trial of God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, trying to do it yourself. And particularly for those who are in youth ministry 
and I've picked on chastity speakers quite a bit, and I'm going to do it again. Now, why do you make a trial of God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Trying to get right with God. I'm not talking about part B, living with God after we come into a relationship with him, but fundamentally, our faith, is it, is it in us or is it in God? Is it in what we do or what God has done? Here's the answer. St. Peter, first pope, first church council, verse 11, Acts 15. But we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to go around the track here and come back to where I pointed you early on to those four brief paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, sections 1996 through 1999. I'll read you two, and they're very short. 1998 says, This vocation to eternal life is supernatural. It depends entirely on God's gracious initiative. For he alone can reveal and give himself. It surpasses the power of human intellect and will. It depends entirely on God's gracious initiative. And so if you were asked, what is the primary reason you're trusting God to give you eternal life? And if you say, well, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm going to scream because the Catechism of the Catholic Church says it's God's gracious initiative. He alone can give himself. This surpasses the power of anything a human being can do. Now, what happens when we are justified? It's, it's not just a, a jolt of uh, cosmic energy like the power that goes through a, a power line that the righteousness comes to it. No, we're talking about the infused righteousness is the very presence of the holy God in our souls. Section 1999 of the Catechism says, the grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift, that's the gift of grace, that God makes to us of his own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin, and to sanctify it. We are talking about, on this year of the 500th anniversary of the split from the Catholic Church, for a deficient view of justification. And remember, your evangelical friends are getting a one-sided view of this. How about a justification by the grace of God where the very life of God comes in to heal us, to wash us, to infuse us with his very life. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 179 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.